Oh, welcome here, Stony Brook. You'll notice that there is a uh, certain segment of our church population missing this weekend as the youth are away on their youth retreat. And uh, just between me and you, and please don't tell them, uh, I kind of miss the guys, you know? Like <laughs> it feels a little bit empty without the students here. But no, please don't let them know that I feel that way. Uh, it goes straight to their heads. Yeah, but they're having a great time. You'll, you'll also maybe notice that there's at least one youth still here with us. That's Raina Plett. Uh, Raina didn't go on the youth retreat because she was busy uh, competing at the provincials for track and field. And not just competing, she was busy winning silver in the high jump and silver in the triple jump. Bev, I have to commend your restraint for not sharing that information with the church during... I was like, don't do it, Bev. You know, you're, let me do it. Let me embarrass your daughter for once. Come on. Good job, Raina. We're all proud of you. Thank you. I uh, hope you had a great time this weekend. And I do trust that the rest of our youth will also have been enjoying the, the youth retreat. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to hearing some of the stories that come from that. Uh, for myself, this weekend has also been very busy. We've had the EMC Festival. Uh, kind of our annual gathering right here at uh, Steinbeck Christian School over the course of the weekend. And, and so uh, there was a lot going on. And I got to, to actually, you know, uh, check something off my bucket list uh, and you know, host a late night show. That was something, I actually didn't have it on the bucket list, but I put it on there so I could check it off. And uh, Friday night was a lot of fun. I th- thank you to, to those who came out to s- support and enjoy and have watched it since. And uh, what was really valuable about that evening was some of the stories that were shared uh, by, by Sid Reimer and Lucas Aragon, who are a part of this coffee shop ministry, uh, just um, being able to try to bless those who live on the street in downtown Winnipeg, and also hearing a bit of the story from Gary and Andrea of their time living and working in China and some of the ongoing genocide that the Uyghur people are suffering at the hands of the Chinese government. And that's not my opinion. The Canadian government has taken that stance of it being an ongoing genocide. And so just a hard thing when, when they poured their lives for a time into this group of people and then to see them systematically taken out of their homes, put into re-education camps and forced labor camps. Uh, that's a hard, hard thing. And it's a, it's a good reminder and a good perspective as, as we gather freely here and as we enjoy, as, as Bev said, in more and more of our normal freedoms and normal life that there are some very tragic and heavy things happening. Uh, and, and what do we do? We don't bring these stories up in order to make ourselves feel bad or to feel guilty or any of that. Uh, but we can be grateful for the gifts that God has given us. Uh, we, can, we can be generous with those gifts and seek to share them with those who have far less than us. And we can keep people in prayer. And I was encouraged by your prayer requests and how they were so other-centered. Uh, people that have come into your sphere of influence that you have a burden for their well-being, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And so let's continue to be a community of, of believers that seeks to pray and to meet those needs for others that are in our path. There you go. That's my preamble. I haven't even gotten to my notes yet. So we're, we're in for a good one this morning. Have you ever seen anything that kind of defied explanation, something you couldn't explain? Even though you know there's a perfectly good explanation somewhere, uh, maybe your wife dragged you to Cirque du Soleil and then you're going and you're seeing that people do things that you didn't think were physically possible and you begrudgingly have to admit, wow, that's pretty cool. (laughs) I wonder how they do that. Or you go to a magic show and you see these illusions and these tricks and even though you know they are just illusions or tricks, you just can't wrap your head around it. You just don't know how they could accomplish that feat. Or perhaps you were like me, killing some time yesterday and, and, and find these TikTok videos of a young lady who can do a no-handed plank. 
where she seemingly gets up on her tippy toes and the rest of her body floats a foot off the ground. And I, I know there's an explanation for that too, but I just can't figure out what it might be. And of course, we want to understand these things. We want to explain them. There has to be a natural reason for it. And that is often the case, but not the case in the story that we are going to read together today. And as we encounter the the work of God through sending his Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, we realize that, yeah, as much as people wanted there to be a natural, normal explanation, it was a supernatural cause that, that created an event that couldn't be explained. And not only that, but created then this ongoing blessing of the work of the Holy Spirit. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open it up to Acts chapter 2. Specifically, we're going to spend our time in verses 14 and following, but we need to remind ourselves of that crazy, unexplainable event in the first 13 verses before we dig into verse 14. So yes, we've been following along, and today is the last sermon in our Come and See sermon series. And, and we were most recently reminded of Jesus as he ascended into heaven had promised then that God would still send the helper, the advocate. He would be with his people through his spirit. And so the disciples, after this ascension, they were waiting for this to happen. And specifically now, we're picking up on this day that it happened. They were waiting together in one room when suddenly there was a sound like a mighty rushing wind and divided tongues like fire descended and rested on each and every one of the apostles and the Holy Spirit of God filled them up. And as amazing and as otherworldly as this experience was, it was not just a gift to them, but that filling of the Holy Spirit compelled them to break out of that room and to boldly proclaim to all of those gathered in Jerusalem the truth and the good news found in Jesus Christ. And not only were they courageous in bringing this message out from that room to the world, but they were able to speak in tongues. Speak and tongues, and that was one of the results of this Holy Spirit now filling them. But this was not tongues like any type of tongue. This was not babbling. This was not some secret heavenly language. What amazed the crowd listening was that the Spirit had given the apostles the ability to speak in each of their individual languages so that the gathered people from across the known world that were in Jerusalem at that time could all readily understand the message of who Jesus is, and the salvation found in him. They were speaking other known languages. That is what, in this instance, tongues refers to. And that was the experience that amazed people. And as as the crowd was watching this, they knew who the apostles were. They knew, hey, these were those who were following Jesus, and now they are doing something that I can't explain. They are courageous beyond measure. I know that they're just simple fishermen, but now they're speaking my language that they have no business knowing. How can it be that we can all understand what they are saying? This doesn't make sense. And some were amazed, and they were maybe more ready to trust that this could be a movement of God, that this could be something grand and spectacular. And others were a little bit more skeptical, and they wanted to find this natural explanation. And so they came up with the, probably the closest solution. In verse 13, it says, <laughs> They were mocking and said, they are filled with new wine. (laughs) They're just drunk. But as we know today, that was not the case. So let us read now verses 14 to 24, and then we will study the word together. 
But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. And the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, that great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Now, that's a sermon. (laughs) That is quite a sermon. And so this was just, I think, a glimpse of what the other apostles would also have been proclaiming to the crowds. And of course, there was that dual reaction, some amazed and some mocked. And it was such a crazy experience that those who mocked the apostles thought that they were drunk, which of course was the only physical explanation that could come close to explaining what they were seeing. They were clearly under the influence of something. And the only thing that we could think of to explain this would be alcohol. Now, Peter defends the apostles with one of the weakest arguments I could, could think of. He says, hey, we couldn't be possibly be drunk because it's only nine in the morning. And I can already hear one of those mockers in the crowd going, it's afternoon somewhere, you know. Like, really? Is that the best? I don't know why why Peter, I don't think he was really too interested. And he wasn't, that wasn't his focus. He was, you know, that, that wasn't where he wanted to spend his time. He says, no, we're not drunk. Instead, this is actually the fulfillment of the prophet Joel. Thousands of years before, in Joel chapter 2, we are not under the influence of alcohol. But we are under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And there is this connection, biblically, between what we can be under the influence of, whether it be, for example, alcohol or the Holy Spirit. Now, many of you, growing up in Christian households, probably had Ephesians 5.18 quoted at you when you were a teenager. This is what it says, Paul is writing now, and he says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But we should never only quote half a verse, right? What does Paul go on to say? But... Now we'd even say, instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now we start to see two sides of the same coin, that the issue that the Bible has when it comes to things like alcohol is not an issue of even right or wrong, not an issue of keeping rules, not an issue of living in legalism, not an issue of of making sure that, that you don't offend your parents who taught you a certain way. The Spirit behind all of these things is to have yourself answer the question, what is the number one influence in your life? What is influencing you? 
when I was at New Life Church, um, Pastor Rusty Hildebrandt was there when uh, marijuana was legalized. Now, recreationally, anyone could go and buy marijuana. And so he, I think very rightfully, preached on what a Christian stance might be to recreational use of marijuana. And he, again, read through this connection of, of, of substance and influence and even used the word availability. And his whole sermon was, was centered around this. He says, I just can't believe that when you are high on marijuana, you are still available for God to use for his glory and for his kingdom. You have now made yourself unavailable. You have now made yourself under the influence of something other than the Holy Spirit of God. And that is the attitude, and that's the discernment and the call that we as Christians need to take into all of our habits and attitudes towards things like alcohol and marijuana. Of course, it is not only substances that can vie for that primary influence in our life. It can also be things like sex addiction or a gambling problem or you're consumed with your marriage or your family or succeeding in school. And so the the real question that this draws out of us today, what is threatening to influence your life more than the Spirit? Do you have a substance abuse problem? Do you have a sex addiction problem? Do you have a, a, a wealth and success problem? What is threatening to influence your life more than the Spirit? Because make no mistake, spiritual renewal is found in living in complete submission to the influence of the Holy Spirit. This is where it begins. This is where it happens. This is why we call it spiritual renewal, not self-help renewal or try harder renewal or keep the rules renewal. And so if we want to be on this journey and to continue down this path, then we follow the example of the apostles and we courageously allow the Spirit to fill us to the brim and to be that primary influence in how we think about ourselves, how we relate to God, how we treat the world around us and in every other matter of life and faith. Pentecost changed everything. The disciples were the first of many to be filled with the Spirit, and they got so carried away and so under the influence of God's Spirit that people thought they were drunk. <laughs> you know, and I just, hmm, I'm not sure I've ever been so influenced by the Spirit that people confused me for being drunk. <laughs> have I experienced, have we experienced the Spirit to the same extent? I wonder. Now, Peter goes on to show that this was not a special experience limited just to the apostles. This was a crucial day, but this was a day that opened the floodgates for all. This was not limited to them. It was not limited even to the Jews. The Spirit is for all who believe in Jesus. And again, this was anticipated all the way back through the prophet Joel. And when he was quoting Joel in verses 17 and 18, he says, In the last days it shall be, declares God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, your sons and your daughters, your young men, your old men, the male and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And then as we uh, skip ahead, I think even as as God gave, uh, uh, through his spirit, gave clarity to Peter to to make that connection, he still needed to learn, learn the fullness of this. And if we go ahead to Acts chapter 10, we see that the spirit falls upon even the Gentiles, something that Peter himself May not, probably didn't, anticipate at the beginning, but he could no longer ignore. Acts 10, verses 44 and following. While Peter was still saying these things, he was uh, preaching and teaching, the Holy Spirit fell 
on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, as God had promised on all flesh. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God, praising him. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. So the story of scripture gathers momentum and gains steam. And we we see even fuller fulfillment of that prophecy in Joel that that Peter is preaching on here in Acts chapter 2. The Spirit is for sons and daughters, young and old, slaves, male, female, Gentiles, Jews, you and me. We are all called to experience the filling of the Spirit. Now there is a word of caution as we talk about this. I do not believe this means that we need to experience the filling of the Spirit in the exact same manner as the disciples in this passage or the Gentiles in Acts 10. Uh, So we don't need a proof of tongues in order to to display to others around you that you truly have received the Spirit. We don't believe that that experience is prescriptive or required. We do believe the promise is the same and the Spirit is the same, even as our personal experiences may differ. So while the experience does not need to be the same, it does mean that the abiding Holy Spirit becomes the most influential person or thing in your life, including over yourself. To be influenced to this extent requires us to let go and to give up control. And that's so hard. I mean, do I really want to give over that level of influence to anyone other than myself? What about my goals and dreams and hopes and desires? But I'll remind you again, spiritual renewal is found in living in complete submission to the influence of the Holy Spirit. At the end of my first year of college, I went on an awesome road trip with my my friends, we went all the way down to Mexico, and one of our stops was South Padre Island in the Gulf of Mexico, right off the southern tip of Texas. We were there on spring break, but it was still one week before the other college kids in the United States got their spring break, which was good, because that's probably not what we wanted to be down there for. So everyone was getting ready for this big college spring break that was going to happen the next week, and we were there almost by ourselves, and we had one day on South Padre Island. And so It ended up being kind of not a very nice day. It was overcast and cool and windy. And when we get to the beach, there's this list of possible warnings that could be in effect. And every single warning was in effect except for a shark. (laughs) There was, the wind was too high, the waves were too high, the riptide was too strong. Uh, Jellyfish that could sting you were washing up on shore. And we're like, you know what? No shark, no problem. We're here one day, we're going in. We're going to go swimming. Um, I was also 19 years old in related news, right? So here we are, and we made this decision to go swimming anyway. And so we set up our stuff on the beach, and we're one of the only ones on there, and then we get in there, and we're just having a good time playing here in the Gulf. And then before we know it, we we look back, we're like, hey, where's our stuff? And it's 100 yards that way. And really, unbeknownst to us, we were getting pulled along, not just farther down the shoreline, but farther out to sea. And so we're like, hey, why don't we head back right now. We didn't want to be pulled along in that way. And while that wouldn't have been a very good idea for my friends and I swimming in South Padre Island, that's exactly the type of thing that we need to be willing to let the Spirit do for us. We have this incessant urge to always pull ourselves back to our comfort level, pull ourselves back to where we want to be. Are we really ready to just let go 
and let the Spirit influence us and pull us and direct us into the path that God desires us to go. This is also our goal as a church. This is not something we need to read just overly individually. We want to use prayer. We want to to use discernment. We want to find out where the Spirit is leading us. And and very recently, we went through this revisioning process, and we we wanted to, again, say, hey, what is the mission that God has for our church? Part of the EMC conference, they, uh, they talked about having this clarity of mission. I'm like, yeah, we've done that. Our people know our mission. And then, and, then, and then the speaker for that session sat down at lunch. And I was like, I think my people know our mission. And then Dean was sitting there. I'm like, Dean, what's our mission? He says, I don't know. I was like, Dean, you're killing me, man. Guy's right here. Come on. No, I, uh, sorry, Dean. You, you, were, you were great all weekend. I love you. And I, and I don't mean to put you on the spot again. <laughs> but here's the thing. We want to have clear mission, but we don't want a nice mission statement. I don't want you to be able to rattle it off by heart. I want our mission to be God-given. This is not our plan. This is what we truly believe is God's plan and desire for our church, that Stony Brook Fellowship would be a spiritual family that encourages the underchurched and overchurched to live as devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Church, that is what we have gathered together to say we believe this is the Spirit's influence. This is Him pulling us that direction. We want to go there. We want to go there together. This is one way in which we live this out. Will we have the courage to be swept away in this direction, away from our comfort zone, together? Now, about teaching from Joel chapter 2, Paul, sorry, Peter also confirms that the day of Pentecost ushered in the last days. That's another significant connection. In the last days, God will pour out his spirit. So we've talked a lot about this pouring out of the Spirit. Now let us talk about the last days. This is the beginning of the end. And Pentecost has proven this. God is doing something new. His Spirit is poured out. We do know that this signals the fulfillment of the prophecy in the beginning of the end. But now we have a slightly, or maybe significantly, different perspective than Peter when he originally preached this sermon to those listening in Jerusalem. The last days for him were one day old. (laughs) They are now 2,000 years old for us. And so we say the last days, but we know that, that, that God is not constrained to time the way that we are. And we know that he is speaking of an era. He is speaking of a way in which we now relate to him differently. And we speak of only one other thing that we're waiting for in order for everything, everything to be full and complete, to be the last. We moved at that day of Pentecost from an old covenant found in keeping the law to a new covenant, perfected in the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We moved on that day of Pentecost from an era in which the Holy Spirit could rest upon one person for a specific reason and for a specific duration of time to now indwelling and abiding in the hearts of all of those who trust in Jesus. We moved from a time in which the chosen people of God was a nation to now the chosen people of God being the church founded by Christ, and for Christ. And we know also that at at the ministry of Jesus and at the coming of the Holy Spirit, that the kingdom of God is now here. It is present. It is among us. And we are a part of this kingdom. And yet, being in the last days also makes note of the fact that we are still waiting for something more. We still look forward to the complete fulfillment of all of these things that I listed. (laughs) 
So does talking about the end times make you nervous? Everybody else get a little bit uncomfortable? Well, good news. This fall, we're going to study the book of Revelation together. Now you can really be uncomfortable and nervous because I know I am. But I do feel convicted that this is something that we need to do together. And so I'm sharing it with you now so I don't chicken out later. So if fall comes, you'll be like, hey, pastor, where's that sermon series on Revelation? I'll be like, shut your mouth, you know. <laughs> uh, you can hold me to that. I, I believe we need to talk about it. I'll get into all the reasons for that too. But we should not be intimidated or scared or skeptical or discouraged about this notion that we are in the last days. Not meaning a countdown of specific days, but of this time in which we have so much but await the fulfillment of it. And all of this can seem daunting. But the focus of Peter's message in the last verse quoted from Joel gives us the reason to hope. He says in verse 21, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And now, What might not have been fully understood by Joel is now completely understood by Peter and given and repeated to us today that the Lord is the Lord Jesus Christ. And his name is the one that we call on. And in him and him alone do we find salvation. And in Christ alone can we be excited about the notion of the last days and look forward and anticipate his coming again when all things will be made new. And this is the reason why the Spirit filled the apostles. This is the reason why we have the Spirit filling us today. This is the reason that we are in the last days. Salvation is found in calling out to Jesus. This is the good news. Salvation is found in calling out to Jesus. To call out is to shout for help in your greatest time of need. That's what I mean. I don't mean like a shout out to Jesus, like, hey, Jesus, what's up? Now I'm saved. No, to call out in your greatest time of need. And you say, Jesus. I'm sure I've shared the story of me almost drowning as a kid. I'm going to do it one more time. It was at a family gathering at a camp, and uh, my dad was, was playing with me. I, I was younger. I didn't know how to swim completely yet. And then my, my dad got playing with some of my older cousins, and then I was waiting at the edge of the pool trying to get his attention. I wanted to join in. Finally got tired of waiting and I jumped in the pool. I know all of this because there was a video camera going this entire time. I assume none of my uncles were behind the video camera because they wouldn't have let me drown, but who knows? And so there I was, and I was floundering, and I was beginning to drown, and then I could get out one kind of like, yelp, ah, help! And then my dad, who was was playing with my other cousins, turned around and saw me in distress and picked me up and then placed me on the edge in safety. Is that one call, that one shout, in your greatest time of need. I also had a dream a few years ago, and I don't share a lot about dreams. I'm healthily skeptical of everything I dream. I usually consider it more an influence of what I ate for supper than always necessarily a message from the Spirit. But uh, this one felt very different to me. And all that I remember is very fast, very quick, and very horrific. Uh, Right before I woke up, what what I felt is I just felt that I was falling into this pit of overwhelming darkness. And it was just, it was just, enveloping me. It's hard to explain. I was like, and, and it happened so fast. And I had time for one word. And I said, Jesus. And then boom, I was awake. I have, I have no idea what that was like. But what does it mean to call on the name of the Lord and be saved? When you feel like darkness is overwhelming you, 
when you have time for one word and one word only, help, save me, Jesus, you have the promise of salvation in those times. The promise of Jesus is that he will hear you and he will rescue you when, you're, when you call, just like my dad heard me and saved me in that pool. You do not have to wonder because Jesus has proven his ability and desire to save you. And this is where Peter spends some of his time in the second half of his sermon doing much the same thing to, to convince those listening to him. Like Jesus has proven this. He's proven it through his mighty works and wonders and signs. He says, you have seen these things. Many of you have witnessed the miracles of Jesus. You know that God did this. You know that it was God and God alone. Jesus has proven it through the resurrection when in verse 24, Peter says, God raised Jesus up, loosing the pangs of death. Death itself could not hold him. This is proof that salvation is found in Jesus. And this was done all according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. That's why we quote Joel. That's why we can be so confident that salvation is found in no one else. This is the one and only plan of God. All you need to do is call and you will be saved. Just as everyone is able to receive the Holy Spirit, all people, all people who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And in case you are skeptical of that, Peter invites the very people that crucified Jesus to be the first to respond to his gift of salvation. He says, listen, listen up everyone. That Jesus whom you crucified, you call upon his name today and you will be saved. And so if even the hands and the hearts of those who put to death Jesus, were offered this gift of salvation, then no one is outside the grace of God. God is looking to save you. God desires to save you. His hand is ready and waiting to lift you out of that pit, out of that water, out of whatever it is that seeks to overwhelm you today. Whether it be a sense of sin and guilt and shame, or, or, or brokenness and, and, and relationships, or you've lost everything. I don't know where you are. All I know is that the God of the Bible, displayed and proven through the love of his son, wants you to call out to him. And he is waiting to immediately lift you up. I'll end with one last story, and the, and the team can come forward as I share it. It's not a fun story for me to share, but I, I just wanted to drive this point home. One of the Hardest things I've been a part of so far. There's a lot of difficult things. But uh, I was out for lunch one Sunday afternoon, just after church, out in a restaurant with a friend of mine. And around that lunch table in the restaurant, he receives a call. And the call is that his roommate, who was on a canoe trip in the Yukon, passed away in a canoeing accident. He was gone. And he receives that news there right beside me. That's a hard, hard thing to see your friend go through. And as he was trying to sort all of this out, I had a conversation a few days later, and his, his roommate and his friend was not a professing believer in Jesus Christ. And this was one of the things that was so hard for my friend to reconcile. What happened to my friend? And so I don't want to give him any notion of hope that may, not, may or may not be true, make any promises that I am not sure of, and I don't want to do the same for you today. But this is what I said to him, and this is what I truly believe is the nature of the God who loves us. I said, your friend knew what the Bible teaches. Your friend knew who Jesus was. Your friend knew what you believed and what you desired for him. He knew everything up here. And I have no idea 
what went through his mind when he was stuck in that cold water, when he began to know with ever more creeping certainty that his life was nearing its end. What I do know, church, is that it would take only one word, help. And God would drag him out of whatever he needed saving from. It didn't take a a lifetime of good works. It didn't take baptism. It, it, It didn't take a certain prayer. It took one call to God in that moment of overwhelming death and doubt and brokenness. And that's all that needed to happen because our God is a God who loves to save. And so if you, I don't know, I don't know if you haven't called on the name of Jesus yet, then I encourage you to consider doing it today. And I don't have a magic prayer (laughs) for you to follow. And I'm hoping that your life will look different on the other side of that salvation that's offered to you freely. But, but I don't want to be a pastor or a church that overcomplicates the driving love of Jesus to save his people. And so call out and cry out, and I promise you that salvation is yours. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for the time that we've been able to spend focusing on your life, your birth, your life, your teaching, your example, your sacrifice on the cross, your victory over your death, your ascension to celebrate your victory and the the welcome gift of your spirit. So God, I pray that we would leave here impressed upon us with the fact that we too have this ability to be completely filled with and influenced by your spirit. God, I pray that we would remove these obstacles and elements of control in our life over to you so that that influence would be true today. And God, all of that starts with just calling on your name. We know that we haven't earned our salvation. We don't deserve it, but we know that you are a a God who desires to save. And so I pray that we would collectively call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, that you would reach down and grab us and pull us out of the muck and the mire that our life tends to drag us down into. God, that is the starting point of our renewal and the Spirit is the finishing point of it, ongoing. God, I pray that we would live in these promises today.